had no idea walking into this industry that was that big. So I think first of all, raising the awareness even at the high school level and college level that this is a very real industry. And then doing things that would support the ability to advance in this industry. And so where do they look? I really think it's anywhere. Personally, I graduated from an HBCU or an HBC, historically black college. And I know for a fact, when I was there, this was nowhere on anybody's radar within the career placement offices. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. This week, we're really excited to talk with Will Carmier, who's the strategic account manager at Staples Promotional Products. What we're covering is not think that Will would be someone that this is a topic that's close to his heart. It really is of talent acquisition. A lot of us are hearing a lot about the great resignation of 2021. And I think this is a great chance for everyone to sort of look at their hiring practices and who they're bringing into their company. And Will is someone we're really excited to talk about on what this looks like for you. Will, can you give us a little bit of background of who you are and how you got started in the promotional products industry? Thanks, Kate. Yes, I've been with Staples Promotional Products. I think it's going on 20 years now, (laughs) believe it or not. I actually have a background in engineering and physics, and I'm a graduate of historically black college university, Xavier University in Louisiana, as well as University of Southwestern Louisiana in Lafayette. And so I came into the industry actually on a fluke kind of circumstance. I was working as a software consultant with a company out of Paris, France. And after September 11th, the whole market and the whole economy went nuts here in the US. And I got laid off with about 60 to 70% of our workforce of consultants. I had a young family to feed and take care of. So I walked into a temp agency looking for work outside of engineering because nobody was hiring. And so I walked in, filled out a form and was placed with this company called Corporate Express just filing paperwork, just doing administrative things to make ends meet and enjoy the industry. I did the work pretty quickly. (laughs) And so they wound up giving me more and more responsibility to do. And then when I would finish my job, I would sit in and kind of listen in on meetings or help other people who were merchandisers. I was in the merchandising department. And that's how I got my start. After a couple of weeks, they made me a full-time offer. I enjoyed it. And I had some supplemental income coming in from investments. So I stayed and just was kind of waiting to see if something was going to come along that was going to be better at some point. And so eventually I looked up and I was there for a year and I started getting promoted. A new vice president came into our department, gave me a promotion as a senior merchandiser, did really well, and then moved into sales once I was able to relocate here to Houston. So I came to run the merchandising division here in Houston and then Staples bought Corporate Express. And from there, I moved into sales and uh, I've been in sales ever since. So that's kind of my background. That's how I stumbled into it. I didn't even know this was a real industry, to be honest. No offense to anybody who's loyal to the industry in that way. I just didn't know. Coming from the world of engineering, I had no idea how integral marketing and promotions really was and how lucrative it could be in this vein of distribution. So very delighted that stumbling into a temp office wound up turning into a 20-year career uh, becoming a top sales performer. Yeah, that must have been quite the change, though. Did you find the switch from software and engineering and physics to merchandising to be a difficult one, or was it an easy switch for your brain to make? It's a different set of challenges, honestly. It's more people management and expectation management, internal and external. What I had to learn in the business side of things with marketing is that 
you're always selling, whether you're working with internal customers, being your own teammates or your managers or external customers like client facing scenarios. And so it's a matter of managing people's expectations for you and with you and knowing the processing, knowing the timing that's involved with doing things. So I would say that engineering had its definite challenges, <laughs> very complicated, but it was more individualized and private where if I'm sitting at a keyboard working on coding, it was a one-on-one kind of situation. Whereas in this industry, it's very much group oriented. It's very much community-based where it's a group of people you're working with at every phase. So the challenges were different. I will say it wasn't the same amount of pressure. To be honest, the pressure was different. Delivering on a software package for a corporate deadline is different from delivering t-shirts and pens for an event. It's a different set of pressure. High pressure, just different. And so I think the engineering industry actually prepared me for the pressures of the promo industry where I was able to keep an even keel personality, very calm demeanor and a solutions-driven mindset that always kind of seems to put my customers at ease. That's fantastic. So I kind of want to touch on that you didn't know this industry existed. I've grown up in this industry. I still don't understand everything that we do here, but I can see coming from the outside, you're just like, wait, someone does that? So for you, bringing in new talent into this industry and you have that obstacle of, I didn't know this was an industry because it still happens to this day. What is your advice to people on overcoming that? How do you sell it basically to people with no knowledge of what we do? Being a product of my own experience, the best way that I can describe it is awareness and exposure. We need to raise awareness and we need to raise exposure. I'm a firm believer in internship programs and mentorship programs. I benefited greatly from both at the high school level, on a personal mentorship level, and then also at the college level. When I was an engineering student in an engineering school, I was able to win internships with General Motors. And that exposure then put me in place to have a full-time job offer waiting for me after I graduated. And while I was an intern, they assigned a mentor to me that I was able to shadow and get really personally connected with who was close to my age. He was a veteran of the internship program who had taken a job two years prior full-time. So he was a new engineer. So he kind of showed me all the ins and outs of how to transition into this world, which is a huge culture shock. So what I would say is there needs to be some grassroots effort toward mentorship and internship programs. And I've had some discussion about it. Some people tend to believe that internships are not as fruitful because you know, you run the risk of the talent leaving after the internship is over, graduating and going to do something else. But what we're seeing in today's atmosphere, corporately or business-wise, is that people are leaving anyway. <laughs> so being that there's a great migration or great resignation, I don't know that that's going away soon. I think it behooves many who have the ability within the industry to get started now with an effort to build loyalty younger. So that ultimately at a college level, students can go and intern either regionally or within their cities to have some experience in that area and be counting on a job waiting for them after college. I was in engineering school with kids who had 4.0 averages, but zero personality skills. I had a 3.2, 3.3. I worked two part-time jobs while I was in college. I was involved in a fraternity. I was doing community service work. So I was very socially oriented. And that played a long way in the interview process and the confidence level that I portrayed. So I had multiple job offers graduating college with a 3.2, while as the 4.0 students had zero 
offers. And so the knowledge of having those jobs waiting on me made a huge difference in my personal development, as well as the choices I was going to make and just being the professional that I was. So I think internships are definitely a gold mine where you can dig up a lot of good treasure with the right talent and you can build that loyalty and bring that talent on board to your work environment, your workforce, and really make the most use of that talent and build that loyalty. Yeah, I find there's a lot of industries like engineering that really benefit and invest in their internship programs. And I don't feel that our industry or majority of industries actually that really look at it as a value rather than free labor for a summer and see the long-term effect that it can have. So what do you think we need to do to start these outreach programs of just getting to people? Internships, ASI has a wonderful internship program, but what do you think we need to do to start at the grassroots level? I think it would be interesting to see a strategic partnership between ASI, PPAI, and some of the larger companies within the industry, like a Staples or Halo or some of these others, where ultimately they line up the internship through the industry, as opposed to that company and a partner potentially even in the expense, because in my engineering internship experience, they paid for your apartment, they paid for your corporate apartment, they paid for your flight. We were making a pretty good salary that was well above minimum wage. As young people in college, you're just trying to graduate and get out there and you know it's competitive. And so people jump at these internship opportunities. And if you're lucky enough to land one, there's a sense of gratefulness there. So I think it's a big investment that's worthy of consideration because think about the amount of training companies go through and the expenses they go through hiring people who quit within six months to a year after getting the job. There's a loss in investment there. So There has to be some comparative analysis between the expense for an intern that can actually build loyalty and have the right experience through mentorship in your company and realize the potential for career advancement as well as financial advancement in this industry, which is huge, especially in the sales area. It's huge. But to actually build that level of loyalty, I think it's worth considering because I can't imagine the amount of financial loss of investment or no return on investment from dealing with employees that are leaving and quitting at such a rapid rate. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a stat. I mean, I use it to sell awards because it's a reason to kind of keep employees and increase engagement. But there's a stat of getting a new employee is a third of that person's salary. So between headhunting, advertising, training. So if you have a $60,000 employee a year, that's $20,000 you're spending on someone. So starting at that base level, with an internship program seems like a great step. Either internships or co-ops where you can do it during semester terms with certain companies. I mean, because remote learning and remote working is so common these days, it may be cool to just, you know, task out some creative, some marketing, some promotions ideas, some IT, some sales, you know, inside sales type of work where a college student who may not have classes on Tuesdays may be able to come in and do some co-op work regionally. My special order team scattered all over the Midwest, so we don't all work in the same office. I think this is a great time to consider even internship through remote access. And that way, the expense of bringing them in and paying for apartments isn't there either. Like there's ways to work around this. It's just who's going to get it done. Yeah. So when we originally talked about this, you had this amazing quote of mentorship being a key factor of retaining talent, that internships without mentorships means you won't keep talent. 
what does a mentorship program look like to you? Well, I mean, you have to have the right person or persons as mentors. First of all, you need people that care enough about younger people and who have benefited from their experience enough to remember how hard it was when they started and to be open enough to care, to make it easier for the next person to come in behind them and just do the right thing. It's the right thing to do. It's almost either a sibling relationship or a parent-child relationship where you see a younger person, you know they're going to struggle and you help them. And you may not necessarily be looking for anything in return other than knowing that that person is going to do well if they have an opportunity. And so I think it starts with the mentors. I think it starts with giving individuals who care enough to do something about it, some type of empowerment to do so. And it could be, it could start with college fairs or visiting high schools during career day or whatever the case may be, come up with some ways to have these individuals get involved, especially salespeople, especially business development type people who know all the ins and outs and intricacies of what we do at different levels. I think it's important for companies to possibly create some level of incentive program for people who want to be mentors, first of all. It may not necessarily translate into cash. At Staples, we have a platform where you can accrue points, either through attaboys or training modules that you complete. And you get those points and you can use those points to redeem against items that are interesting to you. I've got like a flat screen TV one year and an electric lawnmower another year. Doesn't necessarily have to translate directly into cash is what I'm saying. But you need mentors that really care and that have the ability to connect with other people. There are some people with personality skills that, you know, it's, to me, some people in our industry, it's amazing that they actually sell because their personalities can sometimes be so cold and robotic. And you need warm people and you need people who care, people who are gregarious and socially minded. And it starts with the mentors. I think getting mentees is an easy thing, especially in marketing and promotions and business. I think that's easy compared to finding the right individuals to be mentors. It's true. I mean, I would not be a good chair of Promo Kitchen if I didn't plug our own mentorship program where you can go to promokitchen.org and join our mentor program. There is a personality type that needs it, but it's also the reward is on both sides, not just flat screen TVs, although those are really good. (laughs) Right. A lot of our mentors really say that they grow just as much as they see their mentee grow with those programs. And absolutely. I have a question for you in sort of the virtual side of things. I was talking with a friend recently and she said one of the issues that's happening with their company is the onboarding is getting difficult because whereas you'd onboard in person and a lot of the learning would be like looking over someone's shoulder or hearing conversations is that they're finding that sort of an obstacle. What is your suggestion for onboarding virtually and with your team being across the Midwest? What advice would you have to someone? With internship programs or with mentorship programs, how do you look for the signs that someone is needing that next boost to the next level? Well, it's really all about connection and communication, honestly. I myself have a special order team that deals with millennials. I've had to set up frequent meetings pretty much daily at eight o'clock just to do a temperature check, just to check in and say, okay, what are you dealing with today? What are you struggling with? All right, how can we work on this together? And we take about 15 minutes. I firmly believe any meeting that goes over 20 minutes is a waste of time beyond that point. Like if you can't get what you need done in 20 minutes, somebody's talking too much. Um, so I think a lot of people 20, need to hear that. 
<laughs> 15 to 20 minutes, though, is what I do with my team of younger people that support me on a special order side. And they seem to enjoy it. I try to keep it lighthearted and fun and funny to the degree that we always start out with the saying, we put logos on stuff, right? We put logos on stuff. Like, let's be clear. We place a logo on a cup. So let's put that into perspective before we start exhaling with all this different stuff that we're dealing with from a pressure perspective. And you need somebody who's going to be able to think outside of the box in that group, whether it's the mentor or the mentee, to constantly think outside of just the realm of plugging in numbers or looking at statistics or talking to specific people on the customer support side. When you work in sales enough in this industry, you realize that there are workarounds for everything. So I think solutions-driven training, solutions-driven workshops, or just thinking is key for both the mentor and the mentee. Constantly look to see what the best solution is for that customer. And then working as a unit to do it. I think one of the things my team would say about me is that they can call me and I'll help. Whatever phase of what they're doing is, I will handle it. I will help them. We've had our moments, right? But ultimately, to set a frequent communication with that team. So I would say what could be done is, especially onboarding remotely, is to have frequent conversations at the beginning, maybe the first month, 30 to 45, 60 days, just frequent conversations about, okay, how are you doing? How is it going? What can I help you with? And then from there, also setting up tangible deliverables that they can deliver on, right, in a timely fashion, setting up a timeline for every deliverable and helping them get to that timeline and then troubleshooting and root causing why that timeline wasn't met or if there's going to be an expectation that they won't be able to meet it, like help them manage the difficulty and help them manage the expectation that's placed upon them. And if that can happen, those people will then generally be more confident, more capable, and just more willing to participate. That's so interesting. So kind of looking big picture, because I think a lot of people right now are in this state of hiring a lot more. You see it everywhere is that either they've grown their company or they're kind of looking for a new perspective. So when someone is looking to grow, what's your advice to them on bringing in new talent? Where should they be looking and what should they be looking for? I'm an anomaly, first of all. I'm a bit of an enigma in that I didn't graduate with a degree in marketing (laughs) or business. How do we get the other cool engineers in, basically? (laughs) Do Um, they want to sell promo? (laughs) Again, I go back to awareness. Showing people how big this industry really is. I thought I heard somewhere it's like a $40 billion industry. It's something outrageous like that. I had no idea walking into this industry that was that big. So I think, first of all, raising the awareness, even at the high school level and college level, that this is a very real industry. And then doing things that would support the ability to advance in this industry. And so where do they look? I really think it's anywhere. Personally, I graduated from an HBCU or an HBC, Historically Black College. And I know for a fact, when I was there, this was nowhere on anybody's radar within the career placement offices. A very small blip on the radar. I think making it known that this industry is a real industry and a big industry, and we work with some of the most dynamic brands that people see every day matters. You know, when people can imagine that the can of Coke that they're drinking, they actually helped design artwork for the company at an event for the can of Coke that they're drinking. I mean, it's huge to think about 
the number of brands that you can have something to do with. And you see these brands in your everyday life and you say, hey, I work on that kind of stuff. It's, a, it's one of the most fulfilling things we can do is to know that we're making a difference. We're making an impact and our work matters, right? I think another thing that resonates even with my generation of Generation X and Gen Y is does what I'm doing really matter? You know, and if it does, then, you know, that makes me more excited and more motivated to want to get up and do it every day. So I think we have to make the culture of college students and even professionals out there aware that this industry exists, how lucrative it can be, what some of the larger brands are that are everyday household names that we work with and kind of show them what we do and how much fun it is. Like it's Christmas every day for me when I get samples from suppliers and I'm opening up boxes and it's all this cool stuff in it. I'm like, wow, I would use that. And so I think getting people to understand that this industry is a lot of fun and you can make a good living doing it is a great start. Yeah, I think it's one of those we have to get better at telling the stories of what we do instead of letting the swag and shotshas and trinkets and trash become the overwhelming narrative of what our industry is. We encourage employee growth. We mm-hmm. get engagement. We are fundraisers. It's a variety of things that I think like telling that story is important. Absolutely. I definitely think that it's easy to get caught up in the weeds of execution with what we do, as well as management of the emotions of our clients. So many of our clients call us with a fire drill. You know, I need it next week. I need it. I need it. I need it. And you can get so caught up in just the day-to-day stress (laughs) of making those deadlines. But you have to, at some point, take a step back. And I've always had the desire to look at the big picture of things and contemplate whether or not what I'm doing matters to me. And so that's one of the reasons why I stayed in this industry. It's one of the reasons why I love this industry is because there's nothing greater than that gratification of knowing I made the deadline and they love what they saw. And I just think people need to kind of remember that when they're caught up in the midst of so many difficulties that may come and challenges that may come with delivering in this industry. Before we were recording, we were joking that there's no such thing as a ward emergency or a t-shirt emergency. And I think, you know, we might save lives, but we don't really... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, if you want to save lives, you're in the wrong industry, right? So I think it also comes to helping people understand what it is they really want to do and how much they really want to deal with. It's crazy because I was a pre-med major in college. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you my you first took year. some turns. <laughs> yeah. I, my life is a constant journey. Freshman year and into my sophomore year, I was a pre-med student and I went to Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee for a summer internship. <laughs> there it is again at Xavier University, and they partnered with Fisk, I went to an autopsy and saw a full autopsy done. And I realized at that moment, I did not want to be a doctor anymore, mainly because, you know, for the main reasons some people choose not to, that's a problem that can't be solved. I realized that I was solutions driven. I wanted to fix things. And the health industry is one where you prolong life, but you don't stop death. And so when that realization hit me, I realized I don't have the passion to go through with this. And I changed my major to engineering and eventually took off running in that vein. And so my point is, I discovered what it is I really wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And when I was able to do that, I was able to matriculate. Same thing when I went from engineering to this industry, I realized what I wanted to do. and I realized what I didn't want to do. What I didn't want to do is be in a manufacturing industry where I was constantly 
locked up in a room doing one thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just a year or five years go by, right? I want to do something that was more fun, interesting, and unique. And this was the answer to that. Yeah. My personal belief is that no one knows what they want to do until they hit like 80 and then they have an idea and no one should be locked into a career right away is that there's always room to play and grow and should encourage kids to, you know, if they want to be a unicorn, then who knows? I graduated high school. My friend's jobs right now didn't exist. And so it's one of those, like, we don't know what the next things are. So encourage people to just play and have fun with that. It's interesting because we're in a transitional phase between generations. There's a generation of thinking that in my generation, I'm 49 in a few months. So in my generation, you had to go to college, get a degree and get out there and go to work and just work a job. And this younger generation is more bold with their loyalty to themselves, where they're more, I want to be happy with what I'm doing. And so I don't have to be married to one job. I don't have to do one thing. I can get a side hustle and figure some things out. And I think the older generation, my generation, struggles with the mindset of another generation that's coming up behind us that's bold and confident in themselves enough to make a change for their own happiness, for their own livelihood. And I admire that in that generation. It does make talent acquisition and talent retention challenging. However, the businesses that will survive this new era are the ones that know how to either make the most of the talent that they have while they have it, or make sure that talent is loyal, or a combination of both for that matter. So those companies who survive and who do well are those who are going to figure this puzzle out because this newer generation is not going back to how things were 40 years ago. They're not. They're not going to stay on a job for 25, 30 years and take whatever the job gives them. They're not doing that. So it's an interesting time. Yeah, it really is. Everything that's changing, it feels like it's changing really fast, but it's been a long process of what it is. Yes. So we started this conversation, our original contact was talking about diversity in the industry. So as our last point, I really want to touch on what we can do. So you mentioned that you were an HBC grad. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's a historically Black college. And so what is something as an industry or even as an individual that we can do to bring talent from these colleges and universities into this field? Historically, this is a very white and male field. So what can we do to encourage and bring diversity into the promotional products field? I think I go back to awareness. The cool thing about HBCUs in that regard is that there's not that many of them compared to conventional, you know, larger, predominantly white universities. It's not as many. And largely, there are several regionally to connect with from a career placement division or even an alumni division of those schools and make people aware of this industry, make people aware of jobs and positions and career opportunities and even salaries within this industry. How much a salesperson and promo can really make? What's the range based on the size of the accounts that they have? It goes back to those internships. If you've got interns that are coming from these types of schools that then get into the corporate environment and do well, and then they get those job offers and they've got a job waiting on them after college. They're happy to come back to either an alumni day or a freshman. We used to have with Xavier, we have these freshman engagement events with incoming freshmen that are going into the university. They do either a barbecue or in Louisiana, we do crawfish boils 
There's Mardi Gras events. And many of these schools have these networking events between alumni and incoming students where these alumni are professional people who come in and talk to these students within these majors in these degree programs and encourage them about what's waiting for them once they finish up. So it's integral to start with universities from just from a talent acquisition perspective of making people aware that this is a real industry compared to the engineering and the medicine and the legal fields, if you will, like the lawyers, doctors, engineers, there's got to be more <laughs> than that, or just business. Like people think business, like a business major, that can go in 50 different directions, right? Business can totally matriculate into promotional marketing and branding and advertising. And so we need that level of awareness and success story for this industry going into those environments. And we'll see more students applying for those jobs. It's also then important to make sure those students are placed. It's one thing to interview, it's another thing to hire and give kids a shot. And I think with remote working and remote learning being so big and active now, it's not a hard thing to take on an intern that's from Chicago that's working on something for Missouri or Kansas because that kid's there and they're just working on deliverables. They get trained on the system. They get to do transactions. They get to sit in on calls with clients. There's certain things that can be done. It's just got to be mapped out. Yeah. A phrase that has been repeating again and again in my head recently has been, we plant the trees for our grandchildren to sit under. Huge. Yeah. And I always think of that. It's like, we need to do the legwork now. If this is something we want to see, then we need to do the work now. And so I would encourage everyone to just reach out to your alumni association and see what it can be. So, Will, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want to communicate to people? I think we just got to hang on. I know I've said a lot during this podcast. I appreciate the time and opportunity. I just think we have to hang on and try to find a way to adjust with this new environment and make the most out of the time that we have to do it. I think the talent pool of young people that are out there is amazing. I think that this generation is more intelligent than the generations before them, they just have a different type of work ethic and they have the ability to multitask a lot more than generations before them. And so we can't be intimidated by that mindset. We can't be frustrated by that mindset or discouraged by that mindset. There's talent out there, but we got to develop it. Talent has to be developed. And so if we do some recruiting, we need to know what we're doing with those recruits. It's not just a matter of dropping them in the deep end and seeing who sinks and who swims. It's a matter of developing that talent so that those people can give the most of their talent to our organizations while they're there and hopefully be loyal. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And everyone seek out the work that Will does as well as sign up to be a mentor in the Promo Kitchen community because you are planting seeds for your grandchildren to sit under or planting seeds for your future suppliers to not lose their minds over. So, (laughs) so thank you, Will, and have a great day. Thanks, Kate. You take care. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.